and welcome to another episode of The Seed. My name's Daisy. I am one of the hosts of this podcast along with Kristen. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for being here. As always, we love each and every single one of you and this beautiful little community that we've began to form. Um... On this week's episode, Kristen and I start by talking about whether or not we believe the world is going to end, and then that catapults us into a conversation about the bigger systems at play, such as capitalism, and why we think they can be problematic, why extreme black and white thinking tends to be problematic, and uh, we also dive a little bit into spirituality as well at the end. These topics probably all sound quite random to put into one episode, but I promise you they do tie into one another. Um, So give it a listen, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. I ebb and flow in and out of this idea that the world is ending and not in a way that's oh my god the world is ending it's like okay very matter of factly Mm -hmm. the world is ending and what does that mean for me so maybe that means i don't care if i accumulate a hundred thousand dollars of debt and do whatever i want because it's all gonna end anyway and this is all fucking made up either way or maybe i I don't know, just do like the craziest stuff and sell everything I own and live out of a backpack and travel the world. Like I just get these intense moments of everything is ending anyway, so what am I doing? And then it inevitably makes me think of, well, why wouldn't I live that way if that's true or not? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to die anyway. I could die tomorrow. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that. Like, even if the world didn't end tomorrow, we're not guaranteed to be here tomorrow anyway. So, like, it's cool. I mean, if that's how that helps you, like, live more freely, then cool. But also, I feel like, yes, the world's ending 100%, but I don't know that it's going to be as soon as some people think it is. When do you think it's going to end? Well, I don't, I'm not like a scientist, right? But I've read things about like within the next 12 years, we need to make major environmental changes before we reach a point of no return. So it's not even within the next 12 years that the world will end or that like we will die out. It's like within the next 12 years, we need to change something majorly. Otherwise we can't come back from it. It's like things that I've read. I don't think it's like as soon as many people act like it is but I do I do think it's it's urgent of course like I do think it's something we need to figure out ASAP and like stop killing our fucking planet but the people who say like it's within the next five years I don't it's not (laughs) that's exactly what I was looking up right now because Derek had sent me an article and I'm not gonna find it right now because we send each other so much shit but oh This might be it, actually. Yeah. The Gulf Stream could collapse as early as 2025. The collapse of the Gulf Stream would bring catastrophic climate change. 
but many scientists do agree over this analysis. So it's as soon as 2025 or as late as 2095, but the central consensus is by 2050, mm-hmm. it's over. But so would that incidents alone cause the world to end immediately? Do you know what I mean? Like we it, know it. I think it would still be like a progression, no? No, I don't think so. Not with this. Not if this tipped. There are some scientists who will tell you like it's not as soon as five years from now. Like there are ones who claim yeah. that. And there's also ones who believe otherwise. And so I think it's just like it, it really is still like a guess like an educated guess sure but a guess okay so the gulf stream could collapse as soon as 2025 and this would shut down the ocean's vital currents called the atlantic meridional overturning circulation it's called a muck abbreviated which i think is so funny (laughs) (laughs) And so the last time this happened, it triggered the ice age. Okay. So it could be like a huge catastrophic thing. Yeah. What are and the what's the likelihood? Like, do they have a estimate percentage of like how likely this is to happen in the next five years? Like, you know, they must have estimated that somehow if they could figure out that it was potentially gonna happen between 2025 and 2090, whatever. We're warming quicker than they are anticipating. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're believing that this is going to happen even sooner. So I guess there has been an influx of fresh water from the accelerating melting of Greenland's ice caps. So our oceans are rising too quickly and this rise would cause the collapse of a muck. Mm-hmm. What a funny way to put it. And that would result in dra- disastrous consequences around the world. Severely disrupting billions of people uh, would disrupt oh, our food supply, too. Like, we would just be kind of... It would be like a... a what is the phrase? End of days or whatever kind of thing. Like, a, a true, like, landlocked weather's crazy... We can't go anywhere. How do we survive kind of thing? Yeah. That's nuts, honestly. It's really scary. But so, like, we have the ability to change this. We do. But when I'm looking at this, too, I I wonder what triggered. Well, maybe it was something outside of our control, like a meteor or whatever. But the last time this happened, every time this system collapses... Or something similar to this. That's when we have an ice age. And so. And I might be misunderstanding this article. But it seems like any time that these waters rise. Or these systems alter their trajectory. We have this kind of climate tipping point. And it's like (laughs) unplugging the earth and plugging it back in. Basically. Crazy. So this is. Like I do think that this is human induced climate change 100%. but we know that climate cha- climate changes like this and catastrophic ones have happened throughout time so it's going to happen again we just might be alive for it which is right which wild. is wild 
it's scary to think about and i also like still for whatever reason i'm skeptical that it's going to happen in our lifetime do you think that it's because it's true skepticism or it's like a coping skill to like think that there's no way no i think it's like true skepticism because i really do think like things are getting worse everybody knows that and i think that there's gonna be like there has to be something that we some way that we intervene in the next few years like i don't know that we actually will just know this is happening and like not do anything about it even if it's not like a government decision to take action like i think people will like revolt we're like something would happen you know i think in either outcome in my mind this is why i think why don't I just say fuck it and do whatever I want? Because even if that happens, even if we can intervene, mm-hmm. the systems that we know have to come down along with that in order for us to really yeah. make an actual difference. So no, I agree with capitalism, that. how it is, and, and all of these arbitrary systems that we have entirely made up out of fucking nowhere are going to have to change. And so I'm like, you know what? Even if we're not, it's not a world and in the sense of we die and we get this mass flood and whatever mm. happens, the world as we know it systematically, mm. conceptually, is going to change. Yeah. So I'm like, why am I going to pay my student loans? I'm going to because I'm terrified. But why would I, in theory, pay for my student loans if this shit's all going down? No, I mean, you make a good point. There's also ways to, like, not pay your student loans, apparently. Mm-hmm. I was actually watching, like, <laughs> this is so unrelated, but I saw some TikTok video of some girl who moved to, I believe it was France, but somewhere in Europe. And she found some law, essentially. She started working in Europe as well, mind you. So it wasn't a situation where she was still working for the U.S. and living in Europe. She started working in Europe, whatever, gained, got citizenship somehow in Europe, fully moved there. And she found some law that stated that, like, if you make less than X amount of money um, in, like, whatever European country she was in, that you do not have to pay back your student loans in the U.S. Like, it ends up, like, after, I think, 20 years or something like that or 17 years, something like that, they just get erased. And, like, she just has not been paying them. God bless. There's, like, so many loopholes out there. <laughs> like, I feel like we truly don't have to pay our loans. I truly feel like we all just say no. Yeah. I wish I could get no. I wish I could figure out how to start a fucking big enough campaign with enough backing that we all just say, no, we're not going to do that. The yeah. Pentagon loses a billion dollars every fucking year. You can go fucking lose my student loan debt. This really lights me up. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. And I feel like there's so many people who are frustrated by this that like, we would easily yeah. be fine. Like, if all of us were on board, we would easily get this done. And this is what I'm even thinking of, too, in the vein of all of the systems we are familiar with have to collapse either way in this this idea of the world ending, right? Because 
it's not working for any of us, but we all participate in the things that are not working for us. Mm-hmm. If we all just said, I do not participate in this anymore, it wouldn't continue. And that's also what fucks with me, too. I get I really in a hole. Because it, it could really be that easy, but it's just like, how do we convince, you know, like, I don't know, so many people are like, here's the thing. It's like the people who have the means to pay back their student loans don't see it as like urgent. And like, yeah. they're even if they would rather not, they're just going to be like, mm. you know, like, I feel like there's like groups of people where like, it's more convenient for them not to. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's where where the issue is here yeah and for the people who it would be worth it they're most likely like the lower income people they probably have like two jobs like they're the ones without the time or the resources to like Mm -hmm. put towards this so it's like that's what keeps feeding these systems the willful ignorance of the people who could and then literally just the lack of time and resources from the people who desperately want to or need to And this is how I think capitalism even functions because the way capitalism does work is that it keeps those people where they are Mm -hmm. and it keeps the people who would be willfully ignorant distracted with consuming. Yeah. Consuming off the backs of the people who do not have the resources. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not to say anybody who makes like a comfortable living is consuming off the backs of the people who... Are making less necessarily because a lot of times those are like the middle people like for example like my friends that make a decent living they're not exploiting the people below them they're just working for a company that does they're not like the billionaire ceos that are making the rules they're just partaking in the system i agree with that and i think it's a bit bigger because when you're thinking of in terms of like Oh, a hierarchy within a work system? Yeah, they're not doing that at all. Yeah. But I think about, for example, if I went through a McDonald's drive-thru, that seems very innocent. And I say all this with a grain of salt, knowing that I'm problematic every single day. I order Amazon, all the different things. But ordering from Amazon, mm-hmm. ordering from a place like a fast food chain, or really anywhere these people are getting paid minimum wage yeah and the only way i'm able to get items for those pricing or those prices is because i am participating whether conscious or unconscious and of course it's not conscious and intentional but i am exploiting these people to a certain degree I get where you're coming from. I know exactly what you mean. And also there's sometimes, again, like that lack of choice with that. Like if McDonald's is all a person can afford to eat, that's what they're going to fucking eat. Like it's (laughs) hierarchy of needs here. We can't choose sometimes, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing because I'll order from Amazon because it's cheaper on Amazon and I can't afford to go to a small business and support that small business. But so that's, I think, where we need to be cautious, though, of pointing the blame at the people who are just doing what they can to survive. Yeah. So, like, that's what I meant. It's still not our fault, yeah. even though we're partaking in the system. It is kind of like 
a forceful partaking in the system. If you don't have any other choice to like, if you really can't afford the thing you need from anywhere else other than Amazon, like, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. And I don't think when I, when I'm saying this, it's not to point the blame at like the middle class or even the upper middle class or the upper class. There's a whole echelon above all of this that really does orchestrate things to to maintain the structure that we have but I don't think and this will be very personal to each person listening but for me saying like I'm participating in this mm-hmm. I don't look at myself and point blame on myself I look at it and say like yeah I am participating in the exploitation of a lot of stuff and yeah. that awareness when not riddled with guilt or shame or taking on blame is like okay I know that's not possible for me to not be problematic. I know that I have to operate within these confines within a certain degree, but maybe if I'm aware, then on the days that I can, I will go buy incense from the small shop rather than from Amazon. Right, right. Like It's like doing what you can when you can and not blaming yourself for not being able to. Yeah. Yeah. And if you never can, also not ever blaming yourself Mm -hmm. because we don't we don't perpetuate it the way other people with more ability to make the changes do. Mm -hmm. The blame, first and foremost, needs to be at like corporations (laughs) that are Mm -hmm. like, yeah, corporations that are doing this, that Mm -hmm. created these structures in the first place. Yeah. We need to just fucking take them all down. And that goes back to just like not participating by not paying your fucking student loans. (laughs) Seriously, though. Remember how peaceful it was in COVID when like. (laughs) Okay, there was a lot going on during COVID, of course. People were dying. Like, let's not forget that. But like when everybody was just staying home and nobody was like on the streets driving and like something Mm -hmm. like I remember seeing something about like holes in the ozone layer, like repairing it. (laughs) <laughs> for some mm-hmm. shit. people weren't having to pay student loans people were getting like extra money from unemployment if they could like everybody yeah. was living like this was a euphoria well, not everybody of course again yeah, yeah. we were in a crisis but <laughs> yeah. it was they were making both. life both exists yeah but life was made how it should be on a normal fucking day without a crisis during that mm-hmm. time and I really think we need to find a way to get back to that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting to see how these bigger global events will prompt us to make choices like that. Because I think COVID was one of many things that are kind of coming down the pipe, especially if we think about climate change. And we are going to be prompted as a society to make choices of do we favor the corporations or do we favor the people and where do we where do we draw that line and i think having conversations like this and taking inventory into oneself's value system now ahead of it is going to help move the needle towards for the people rather than for 
profit for corporations and yes. really like when i say for the people also for the earth for the earth 100 percent. because you're right also too just like most of the damages climate wise are also being caused by these corporations mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah exactly just the source of all the bad that's happening (laughs) yeah and if we even think about if we have another health crisis another global health crisis and we are living in a country that's for-profit healthcare, it still is going to be that same choice of what do we do do we keep people safe and supply income so people can keep themselves well and healthy or do we not and you know what's crazy too is when you think the like when you really think about it, the only reason the government wanted to keep people alive and healthy during COVID was so that they could work. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have done that if there was no benefit to it. Yep. And it's just sick. Like that's the only time lives are cared for is when they are needed to make profit. And the thing that really fucks my brain up when I think about these things is that I I truly believe that if we all collectively just decided, and I know that's a very easy thing to say, but if we truly took a step and thought, what kind of world do we want to live in? It wouldn't be this one. This is just what we're born into and we see and we assume is normal. And what I find to be really interesting is when I toe these lines with other people, they think I'm crazy and that this is the only possible way to have a human existence. And that to me is, it makes my jaw hit the floor. I know, me too. Also, I find that most of the people who think that way I feel like they're brainwashed in school because it's often the people who work in like the business field. Yes. And they're like, no, capitalism is the best way. And you're like, dude, they definitely just brainwashed you in your classes and told you that, but it's not the best. (laughs) For who and for why I need to know because for the businesses, that's why they're teaching you that. That is literally why they're teaching you that because they're teaching you how to generate the most profit with the least amount of expenses for a business. That is what you went to school for. Of course, that is what you're being taught. But in what other capacity is that the best way? (laughs) None. And then people look at what we're saying and... They're like, oh, yeah, sure. A little utopia. Oh, or they think communism, socialism. Like, take a beat. Like, I truthfully, I don't know a significant amount about communism. I know that in America, we are so brainwashed to think that it's bad. Maybe it is. I don't fucking know enough about it. I will own that. But I know that whatever of these three options we have capitalism socialism communism there's a fourth option there's a fifth option there's a sixth option exactly there's not just these three major systems to function under right like i would even be happy with like regulated capitalism i don't even fucking know like anything better than what's happening right now. (laughs) yeah anything better this is insane 
I think though that I don't know. I also feel like I do a good job at living in a, my own bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to do that with like the algorithm and whatnot. But in my mind, people are starting to shift their idea. Yeah. But then sometimes I have conversations with people outside of the bubble and they still are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I struggle to know if it's just like the age of social media has put me in an echo chamber mm-hmm. and I'm thinking that more people think this way when in reality it's just like a small corner of the internet. Yeah. Because you're right, when I meet people in person, there's a lot of people, like there's more people that than before that agree with this stuff and also there's still a huge amount of people that will look at you like you're insane when you say that you're (laughs) anti-capitalist yeah and it's always funny to me because it's people who also don't know anything like I don't know like I just said I don't know much about communism but these people but I'll I'll say that and I will say I don't know much about that but I know this isn't working right other people will just say, what do you mean? This is great. And I'm like, look, up, there's literally a homeless person like right there. Like literally everywhere. Literally, I can walk outside my building and see like five people who are unhoused on benches. I got to say, too, I don't know a whole bunch about communism either. But what I do know is the people who are so anti-communism always use horrible examples for why communism mm-hmm. is horrible. They always use examples of governments that are just corrupt to begin with. It's like any system operating in that would not be ideal. It's not because it's communism. It's because the root of everything is corrupt there. Yeah. Yeah. Any system needs to have some kind of checks and balances. Otherwise, it will go to shit because people will be greedy. People will. Mm -hmm. It will just always go bad unless we have methods to regulate and check every single level of authority when you're saying the word regulate and i'm thinking about oh this idea is like unfolding in my mind i've never thought of it before okay so we have the government right Mm -hmm. and we have checks and balances to regulate it and you mentioned greed and that made me think of the idea of lack And where does the feeling of lack come in when we're not feeling safe, when we don't have access to money, food, healthcare, all the things we need, right? And then our nervous system is dysregulated. And so how do we act when we're in a place of dysregulation where we're erratic? We do things where we wouldn't normally do. We act in ways we wouldn't normally act. And we need almost like a system a nervous system regulation for the government the government and of these larger because really the government the the country that we live in countries in general are just a body of humans and so if we were able to regulate the nervous system of individuals it would then regulate the nervous system of the collective mm-hmm. and we wouldn't feel so scared and i think the illusion for people who have the illusion of scarcity that suddenly they're going to be without or something like that and they're obviously i say 
illusion with a grain of salt because someone might have trauma and then we do actually have people who are without so it reinforces that and that's why we keep people down because it's to say if you don't participate look what's going to happen to you you are going to be unhoused that's why we leave people on the streets that's why we leave that's why we don't change minimum wage we want that fear so people keep working but it's a manufactured sense of scarcity for the people who do have and so if we were able to eliminate that that fear i think it would really take away greed mm-hmm. and some corruption from that even in the individuals who we assume are not capable of not being greedy or something like that because either way those people that that person like let's say elon musk he's an asshole but when he was born as a baby he probably wasn't born an asshole Right. And so how do we stop people from turning into the nervous system of baby Elon Musk from turning into asshole Elon Musk and use his powers for good because he's brilliant. He just doesn't use it well. I know. What a shame. And I feel like we all had so much hope for him for a while. Yo, I I really did. I really did. Up until I would say. Remember, wait. (laughs) Before we even get into that, remember when he asked someone to put together exactly how much it would cost to, like, end world hunger? Yeah. And then someone did it, and then he just bought, like, Twitter instead. Yeah. Why? I don't remember the number, but I know at one point this probably was, I think this was during my undergrad, so 10 years ago, but... There was a statistic that came out and it said if Americans didn't buy ice cream for a year, that money could end world hunger. I believe it. I believe it could actually be like something like so silly, so easy. Also, too, think about how much food is wasted on a daily basis. That alone could probably end world hunger. I don't know the exact numbers, Uh but food is thrown out every day just because it's ugly looking. Mm -hmm. Untouched food at places like fast food places restaurants stuff like that all of that could be fucking donated and be feeding people and there are states with laws that prohibit that so new jersey is not one of them because when i lived there i volunteered at a a food pantry that did that they collected food from local food stores from trader joe's Mm -hmm. whatnot and they would go get the food that was discarded because it would expire in a couple days or it would would just didn't look quote-unquote good and so that food was then rescued and salvaged to to food pantries yeah food pantries and if anyone's in new jersey the place called cumac c-u-m-a-c which is like, beautiful and i yeah. don't think i don't think it's happening on a wide enough scale even no. in, even in the states where it's legal like yeah that i think is like one of the exceptions like it's not the rule you know oh 100 percent. it's totally it's the exception and i say it to bring the example that it's possible we just literally have laws in place that prohibit that so that's why i know we there there's a function to world hunger or hunger anywhere there's a function to not having access to water there's a function to keeping people on the street Mm -hmm. otherwise there wouldn't be happening 
I also think the reason that's prohibited, like from a capitalism standpoint, like part of it is definitely the fact that like people probably argue it would skew with like the demand of the product. Like if mm-hmm. grocery stores were just donating the excess of something, the value of that product is going to go down. People aren't going to buy it. They're just going to go get it for free. People at least would assume that. I think mm-hmm. though the average person is not going to like go to a food pantry unless they actually need to. Like, mm-hmm. let's be real. A hundred percent. I totally think that. And I remember having that conversation with people before in the same way and saying it's the same people who hold the idea that, okay, people choose to not work and choose to work or not work, live off of some kind of social benefit, like like SNAP benefits or unemployment. And I had a a coworker one time say to me, my friend told me I should just quit and collect unemployment. I'm like, is that how you think that works? That's literally not how that works. I hate when people say that. That It blows my mind because I'm like, well, then why wouldn't we all do that? That's not how it works. It's so hard to get unemployment and you also cannot live off of unemployment. You do not have enough money to survive off of what snap benefits provide no you don't i was on snap benefits as a child my family still my family still barely had food in the house when i was a kid yeah exactly i was on it as well and i'm i think about that and i remember even doing a project in school in college and for dietetics on that and the teacher had just had people do it for a week and I forget the amount of money it was, but it, whatever it was, was relative to the time period. And everybody came back. I could do it <laughs> because I went to like all these and I knew how to make yeah, that Yeah, like you already had the skills of like I how already to be knew. cost effective, right? <laughs> I was there. And so, but other people were like, I have no idea this and that. I'm like, exactly, exactly. You don't know. You don't know. And like, you, you don't know because like, People just, I don't know, assume. People do assume. I think as humans, we do have a desire to create. We don't have a desire to do mindless work. Mm-hmm. So I think that if our society was restructured, we still, we wouldn't just lay on the couch all day. It's the same idea of like with food as always is that people assume that well, if I'm not only eating clean, quote unquote, and only eating healthy, then all I'm going to eat is ice cream and this and that, whatever food they label off limit. And I think it's the same that they assume if they're not working and breaking themselves to make ends meet or just cons- like working enough or too much to have this like stash pile of money then they would just like be lazy all day it's what they're not allowing themselves to do when in reality there's another outlet it's not black or white there's a gray area to live in always i truly believe that the root of all suffering and bad things in the world is black and white thinking operating from black and white because yeah in every scenario you can find a middle ground a gray area And it would be a much better outcome than either of the extremes. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just like the human condition or what, but Mm. we always try to operate in extremes. 
I wonder where that comes from or if that is just something that is human. I don't know. I have a feeling that comes from the systems because if you think about it, I think we innately, like if we operated Mm -hmm. through intuition, I think we would have an affinity towards the gray. But I think when we're indoctrinated into these different like systems at play, we're taught black and white thinking, right? Because even just, again, using the example of like food and body, when we're born, we have hunger signals, we have cravings, like we are innately able to tell what we want to eat when we want to eat it. It's when we're drawn away from listening to that intuition that we start to operate in these extremes and whatever way it is right like Mm -hmm. diet culture drives us to restrict and like that's when that causes issues and like the other end of the spectrum can also happen too and I want to say it's not the human condition I want to say it's the shit that we've created and decided was the way to live life yeah I agree with you especially when you bring up the idea of intuition and that I mean this might sound out of left field But in my mind, religious structures came before these economic structures that we're familiar with. And what would draw one away from their own inner guidance, to me, would be religion and the black and white good or bad thinking that is in those many of those different concepts and so if i maybe am living back in the middle east or northern africa and because i'm thinking where like these abrahamic religions started if i'm living back then like capitalism wasn't a thing like i don't know what their economic structure was like but i would imagine it's more trade-based maybe some coin of some sort but also very mixed right So, but still all of these, this time period where religions are forming and we, again, like these big three Abrahamic religions, there's many more, but they really have this black and white, good or bad thinking in them. And I wonder if that kind of changes the way then it's like putting on a different pair of glasses. Like I see the world one way, I see it more nuanced and then now with this new thought system i'm taking those glasses off and putting on the ones that are black and white thinking and that is then going to change how i operate and view economy and view if somebody might deserve what's coming to them or not like things like that yeah and i i also think i guess just going back to like what we had said about the human condition so i don't think it's the human condition to want to operate from black or white, but I do think it's the human condition to want answers. And so I think that's why we fall so Mm -hmm. easily into these structures because there is an answer that's being provided to us, whether it's a right one or a wrong one, it is something to guide us. And also intuition is something to guide us, but it's something that I feel like people lose touch with and like they just, you know, like, I think people are are quicker to believe something tangible or physical or something that like someone is telling them mm-hmm. versus trust themselves. And I think that's kind of 
like where that comes from. Yeah, because it takes it takes time. It takes presence. It takes a sense of stability to really cultivate a long-term relationship with your intuition in my mind. I think for other people, there's always outliers, right? There's no black or white here, but there's people who do get intuitive hits and they know, right? But most of us have to learn what that means, especially at this point in the timeline, because we are so overwhelmed with distraction and so many people telling us what to do and whatnot. But prior to that, we always had this intuitive sense. And I think part of the wanting to have an answer is, one, a disconnect from that inner place like you mentioned before. And we are kind of just plopped here into this existence, into this experience of being human. And really, we have no idea what the fuck is going on. We are so conscious and we don't know how any of this began and that's terrifying and so we kind of like we talked about a couple episodes back where I mentioned religion was like science in the sense that it gives us some kind of tangible answer and even if it's not a full answer it gives us something Mm -hmm. rather than I'm out here on this giant rock flying through space-time spinning around this fireball in the sky right what the fuck (laughs) right and it's interesting too because again like with the black or white thinking too like religion doesn't have to be black or white either but like when we're talking about black or white thinking with that it's i think like the organized religions yes yeah there are like for example spirituality i consider to be like that gray well, Me too. It, it could be black or white. Again, there's always people who take things to extremes. But the creation of your own spiritual practice mm-hmm. out like laws or rules or commandments or whatever it is yeah. to follow, I see that as an intuitive practice. And so it's like these things can – like that's just one example of how something that we have taken to a black or white can also exist in the gray we just don't or some people do it but a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that idea of it not having like that container I'm using the container word now Kristen's rubbed off on me (laughs) everything's a container (laughs) it is I love that word I do use that word a lot (laughs) I it was something you said about spiritual practices i i think it's interesting because people will ask me and i'm sure you might have a similar experience if somebody's just kind of getting into the idea of creating their own spiritual practice and i did this very much in the beginning where i would ask people well how do i use this crystal how do i read tarot how do i this and that and i'm like don't do it whatever you feel like when you touch that rock you do whatever you feel and if you like or how often do I sage my apartment whatever you want to do right like whatever you feel and that is almost like too empowering at first so I think people do tend to again like I did it too and still do it in certain areas but we tend to like go our our habit instead of going inward our first gut reaction is 
go outward. Seek guidance. Yeah, exactly. And like not even seek guidance from your intuition. It's seek guidance externally. Yeah. And I absolutely had the same experience as you. And I think we talked about this even in our religion episode where I, I told you that like I felt like I got very sucked into like what spirituality was supposed to quote unquote look like. Mm-hmm. The point where like it wasn't even a spiritual practice. Like it was these things that I didn't even really like or believe in sometimes. And I was doing them because I felt like that's what spirituality was. Again, trying yeah. to find this like mold of what I'm being told it is. When in reality, it's literally whatever the fuck you want it to be. I consider myself spiritual and I don't do any of that stuff anymore other than maybe like astrology. <laughs> yeah. Astrology has has got me in its fucking grip. Man. I just think it's so fun. <laughs> I love it. It's so fun. It's so fun. The I I will say I have like a like a meditation prayer connection practice but I I don't even have a word for it like I I don't think anything I do falls under fully any one of those umbrellas it's kind of like a mash together of all of it because I do feel like I'm connected with something larger than myself and I have to just the same with any relationship be in presence with it and that's a a good example of this okay so normally I don't really have like a strong practice but I have been drawn to little spurts throughout my life have like kind of looking back shown me that this is something of interest to me but I've been drawn to the idea of open eye like candle flame meditations Mm -hmm. and the first time I did that was very unintentional. I had like lit a candle that was gifted to me and it was a candle that was a white candle, but the wax drippings were colorful. When I lit the candle, I was in a trance like I have never been in before. And I remember after I kind of like broke out of it, Googling like, what what the fuck just happened to me kind of thing. Yeah. And it was so soothing. It really felt like my brain turned off for a moment. And it it was more than just a moment. And I keep getting little nudges to try that more intentionally. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just got them today. I got little candles that are, I don't remember if they're 10 or 20 minutes, but that's all it is. So all I have to do is light this little tiny candle. It's like as big as my pinky, maybe even smaller. And it will burn for the allotted time it was set to burn at. And all I'm going to do is just look at the flame. Mm-hmm. And that for me is a better meditation practice than just clear my mind or whatever. Yeah. Because a lot of people struggle with that. And mm-hmm. like for me, I have to focus on my breath or do something guided. But this I'm hoping will be the guide, this mm-hmm. open eye flame kind of thing but that nobody told me that it was just something I know that I experienced I liked and found out it was a thing and then it's been kind of nudged into my sphere by random conversations or random things I've seen and now I'm going to say all right these are synchronicities these are the universe's little messages saying hello you know you like this I keep putting it on your radar try it and I'm gonna try it and see And that's what makes all the difference is that like 
you're following nudges towards what feels good to you. If something doesn't feel good to you, you don't have to include it into your spiritual practice. Because very much like you, I think I kind of ebb and flow out of certain things. So like I said, I don't do any of that stuff I used to do anymore. But like, that's kind of a lie. Like I do like meditating from time to time. And I also think I tend to like not group that under spirituality anyway. Like I kind of feel that as like, that calms my anxiety. Like that's like a mental health coping skill that I have, so to speak. You know what I mean? So, but it can also be a very spiritual experience. Um, and so, yeah, like exactly what you did, just like following the nudges of like what feels good to you at any given time. And also knowing that you're not held to always having to do that like that doesn't have to feel good for the rest of time you can choose tomorrow Mm -hmm. that that thing isn't serving you anymore and that is honoring your spiritual practice yes a hundred percent because I recognize my own pattern of being in this rigidity of where I said it the other morning I scrolled on my phone in bed and that was like a rule I had for myself I can't do this I have to start the morning calm stay and this and that And I had just been wanting to do it. And it was almost as though I just wanted to break the rule after such a long time. And I did it. And now I don't really care to. But now it feels more of a choice rather than I have to do this. Yeah. And in that moment, honoring that urge to go against my own grain or my own rule really just reinforce like no this really is actually this other thing that you were doing does feel good and I think we need to know that from time to time yeah and something you said too with your meditation practice that it helps calm your anxiety Mm -hmm. I would say that is spiritual and this you can choose it not because you bring you're coming back to yourself Uh and when I'm anxious I know it's harder for me to tell the difference between intuition and my anxiety speaking Right. And so if that's if you someone's listening and that's all that does for you is not all that's huge is calm your anxiety and let like that voice that voice's volume be turned down. That's amazing. No, I agree with that. And I also kind of like wanted to go back to what you said too about like your rigid, like your need to be like rigid about certain things or whatever. I think a lot of people probably relate to that. And just tying this back into everything that we said before, I think that that guilt around needing to be rigid around stuff is all what we've been trained to do under capitalism. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that we're letting it seep into our spiritual practices, even when that yeah. e- like when everything should actually be intuitive at its core, but especially a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. I noticed actually today, it's funny you said that because I was acutely aware of how this like manufactured scarcity mindset showed up for me in spirituality my sage i have sage on the table it's like a little nub left but it still has got like a chunk to burn like i got time but i saged my apartment this morning and i thought okay i have to go today to the apothecary and buy sage 
oh no, I don't have enough money for that this week. Oh no, I have to take time out of my day. And when am I going to find the time to get there? And then I was like, wait a second. I literally, one, don't need the sage. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not make or breaking anything in my life. There's no, and like, what does that even speak to? Like, there's no negative energy in my mind at this point or any kind of anything where I can't navigate it. I don't need the sage to do it and like putting it outside myself. And then this idea that I need it today as like for what and for why. And I paused and I was like, that was so weird. And it made me think about, again, this mindset of never wanting to be without, which is capitalist. And again, like that there is something I need outside of myself to do any kind of spiritual work or continue cultivating any kind of spiritual connection and like spirituality too aside like yes everything you just said and also i feel like people recently i've been noticing this like on the internet and things intertwine like spirituality and like hustle culture it's almost like Mm-hmm. Have a morning routine, do all these things as a means to become X person who like yeah. has X, Y, Z. And it's like we're not noticing how we're taking these practices that could be just like feel good practices and making them like a hustle now that like like a yep. chore, a routine, a rigid literally capitalism like fueled by the energy of capitalism yes it's like we're now using spirituality as this tool to propel us into what capitalism tells us is the ideal lifestyle success whatever it is right and -hmm. that's not to say we can't like want those things but i'm just noticing this trend of like the two merging yes There's an author I referenced on here before. Her name's Danielle Laporte. And she, I think I've only just recently became aware of her this year. But I think prior she's been known for certain books and like her very strong spiritual practices. And in her words, she had a dark night of the soul, moved kind of out of this spiritual quote-unquote place that you're describing doing all the things showing like doing it all for show essentially and there's a term for that called spiritual materialism and i have the book over there but i can't see the author's name but like this is not a a new idea that we do these things for the like the material for the show to reach a certain point and she sold her home moved to this little apartment near the coast because she loves the ocean, has really whittled down her spiritual practices to reading a text that she's really drawn to and meditation. And, like, if something else comes up, Mm -hmm. that's what she does. If not, like, those are her, like, those are her places to be. And I think that is really when we look at any person that we might really appreciate their spirituality i think of myself with ramdas same thing like not somebody that was very showy not somebody that was having all i mean he had an altar but like having all the crystals or having all the things like 
just to have them, like only doing what feels good mm-hmm. and just get down to the bare minimum. Like what feels good for you? Stick with that. Add things in when they feel good. Take them out when they don't. But the moment it feels like a chore and then it's taking away from your life, like especially with you, with what you're saying with TBM work and that type of manifestation right now, you know, that's not for you. Maybe it will be in the future. Maybe it will never be. Either way, who cares? As long as you're coming back to yourself and honoring what you want to do, then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's actually a very relevant example of like honoring what feels right for me right now in like that spiritual sense because that what that what that is and was driving me to like a very dark place it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be what a spiritual practice does <laughs> yeah exactly and like for you it might for someone else listening might be their thing who knows for someone else listening like i remember the moment i like got rid of like 90% of my crystals i was like oh my god am i doing something wrong mm-hmm. and i was like no i literally I'm not even using them. They're sitting here for what? No. If I was really in touch with them, then I would want to keep them. And it's okay that I'm, I think that they want me to give them up in a way. (laughs) More like put them back in the earth. Dude, I agree. My crystals have been sitting in a bowl for ages since college. And I struggle to get rid of them because I don't even know why I struggle to get rid of them. But I do. And I also struggle with like ah do you have people in your life who like still know that past version of you and like will gift you crystals and stuff and you're like thank you I love you I appreciate you and I know I'm not gonna use this yes Yes. I think that the moment you buy a fucking crystal everyone thinks that you are this the crystal person you are the crystal witchy astrology tarot reading even if you are not even any of the others you get a rose quartz crystal and that is all you're going to be gifted the rest of your fucking life so be ready yeah no literally though and like i i was the tarot reading witchy crystal girl yeah college, but yeah. also not like because it felt authentic to me just because i thought that's what spirituality was supposed to look like mm. and we've talked we talked all about this yeah. in our religion episode so so like I, I don't even blame people for assuming that's still part of my yeah. practice because I don't walk around telling people like how I decided to like let go of those things and why they weren't serving me. Like that's not really a conversation that comes up usually unless yeah you're, me and Kristen, I don't know, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> unless they've listened to this podcast now, they know. Yeah, now they know. <laughs> don't give Daisy any more crystals or me either. Ask me first or something. Although I, I appreciate any gift. I love anybody who gets me anything. But literally the moment I said that, I was like, well, actually, if somebody made you think of me, that's really nice. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah I know. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but like even with some of that stuff, like I'm sure maybe I'll have a crystal phase again. And like I have a couple over there, but it's just not to the degree that I did. And I have my tarot decks, mm-hmm. but I go in and out of using them there's and when I'm using them I'm like wow there's never gonna be a time in my life where I don't pull a card every day and now I haven't touched any of my decks in like three months four months maybe and now I'm like I don't know when I'm ever gonna go back to them but I know I will I'm sure at some point it'll just it's like a wave it is waves and like it's totally normal 
for things mm-hmm. to ebb and flow like that. But yeah, I feel you. My crystals started to become more like a collection than a tool. Yeah. Like they were just like piling on and I never fucking use any of them or charge them or anything. Mm-hmm. Why do I have these? They're just pretty rocks. Like, why do I have them? Yep. Exactly. And I think it's doing it because I, I do have respect and reverence for those practices. And I do believe there are energies to work with. But if I'm not working with them, I think it's yes. almost disrespectful. And again, that like for show, for materialism, of to, to put it out and I have this or whatever, let, let that work be used somewhere else. Or like for me, I've put them in the creek or I buried them or something like that. Like, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to put it back in the earth. It's not mine anymore. Someone who's, or like leave them places. <laughs> if you've ever found a crystal, maybe I left it there. But I'm like, I trust that there's a force bigger than me yeah. that somebody who is meant to find this will find this. I think I'm very lucky that I've happened upon certain I wouldn't even say spiritual teachers, people who practice spirituality through the lens of a lot of autonomy and empowerment. And somebody saying, if you want to charge or cleanse your crystal, you don't have to wait for the full moon. Look at your hand. You are that magical power. Put your hand over it and say, this is clear. It's your choice. You have the power to do that. And that's like, again, with that sage example that I mentioned earlier. I don't need the sage. The sage is like, in my mind, a placebo effect almost. Not necessarily, not to like shit on anyone's practice, but like the idea that it is, we are giving these things power. We are giving these structures that we live in power. Yeah. We all of, all of the things that we see, we are giving power to either because we intuitively come upon it. We have been told it by someone else. Or what have you. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, these tools, I think, are the medium that allows our brain to believe Mm -hmm. the powers that actually we possess. Yes. So, like, we pull a card. Yep. Our intuition is telling us what that card says. It's not the card. Uh, We think, like, a crystal is giving us some kind of positive energy that we're creating that energy, but we're more likely to believe it if there's an external thing that we can Mm -hmm. say gave it to us. Yeah. And that's, like, literally all it is. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how I learned tarot. Like, when I pull a card, the image is on it. Like, if there's a bird in the background, that might speak to you. Whereas if there's, like, a mountain in the foreground, that's going to speak to me, you know? Like, and I'm going to take my own meaning. It's, again, that, like, seeking an answer from an external thing when it's all in us. Like, yes, if these tools help you, cool, but you do not need them Mm -hmm. either for a spiritual practice. Yes. all in us. This conversation went a hundred different ways, but. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) All of those things are permission slips. I don't know how we went from capitalism to this, but also I do because they're so tied. Yeah. We went from the world's ending to capitalism to spirituality. All the major, major, I don't know. I think there's a theme though of it that it's, we're really highlighting like, what do we want to participate in and what, what do we want to give power to in our own lives? And there are things outside of our control, like 
student loans, right? Maybe again, like I said before, if we all stop paying, they're more within our control, but that's a collective effort. That is a collective effort. But for my own self, like I can't just like get myself out of this construct, but what can I do? What can I give myself the power to do and the permission to do? It's these smaller practices that I think will influence our personal internal value system and every personal experience is contributing to the collective experience Mm -hmm. and i think that's important i agree there we go the natural end baby this is how we have to end every episode all right thanks for listening everyone love you guys